everybody, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development. It is my honor to have with me tonight Dr. Mary, who is a first grade teacher and chair of humanities in Boston in her 20th year of education. Welcome, Mary. Welcome. Hi, how are you, Craig? So good to see you. Why don't you tell us what you're doing now and what's exciting about it for you? Um, well, as you said, currently I am teaching first grade and I'm the humanities chair at a pre-K through ninth school. Um, uh, we've come off of um, a little bit of an unusual uh, way of teaching recently, um, doing some distance learning because of COVID. And so um, I'd say what what's most exciting right now is just being able to integrate um, the use of technology and the experience that we've all had in the traditional classroom um, and combining all of those skills together um, to make sure that we're meeting the needs of all of the kids across all subject areas. So I think it's an unusual um, time, but it's also an exciting time to be making sure that we're um, on top of all of our skills and to make sure that we are utilizing um, all of those skills in the best way possible, but also um, utilizing research and utilizing best practices and utilizing our ability to really collaborate with one another, not just um, in our own uh, brick and mortar schools, but also as, you know, which I think is, is right up your alley, you know, globally and, and being able to um, use our opportunities right now in more of an outreach way to best meet the needs of all of our students. So that's that's exciting. So first graders. Yes. Distance learning. Yeah. How challenging um, was that? You know, it, I think we did it really as effectively as possible. Um, it's amazing what first graders can do when they when they have technology in front of them. And you know, I think that there are some trends with technology, um, you know, when, when technology all came out, we were so encouraged to, to use it, just use it, make sure the technology is in their hands. And I think we've gotten so much better um, with technology. It's really used as a tool to enhance student learning. Um, and so it can be done very effectively. So things like um, Zoom, things like Seesaw, where you're, you're able to get um, student information and assess it in your own time. Um, websites, resources, professionals, we can connect students right now with um, an unlimited amount of resources and first graders can handle that. So I think when there's a balance, when you're using it for both social but also learning, it can be an outstanding tool. So already in my mind, when I think about the next school year, um, even if we are in the classroom and we are there together, um, some of the things that I've learned through distance learning, um, I'm going to bring right into the classroom with me. So, you know, I plan on doing more small group meetings with kids while allowing those first graders that maybe early in the year I wouldn't have thought to have had them watch a video of me teaching while they can respond on an app or through something like Seesaw or another mode um, of technology, and then I can come back to them later. So I really think that there's an unlimited amount of 
um, things that I can do in the upcoming school year that I wouldn't have perhaps tapped into as early on in the year as, as I will now. So I, th I think that um, it's put us in an interesting position having distance learning completely um, as, our, as our mode of teaching with first graders, but it's certainly something that I can enhance my own education with when we return to the classroom. I've always said that um, kids can do far more than than we expect them to do, particularly with enabling technologies. So that's really interesting to hear you say that, particularly with first graders. How have you found the use of Seesaw, particularly uh, with getting that communication between parents and students and the teacher, particularly at this time? Has it been valuable as a tool? Um, absolutely. And I can see it becoming even more valuable. In our school, um, there are some special subject classes um, that use it more often um, and find great success because then when they do meet with the parents, they can show the parents exactly what their child has done. They have video of the child's learning. Um, and I, I know that this upcoming year, I will use it a lot more because I think what it allows you to do is share the experience in the classroom with parents at home. And so a child can record their thinking. Uh, I can see it being used in math where a child, I may have taught a lesson or may, they may be looking at a video of me teaching the lesson and they can respond um, to describe their learning as they're solving a problem. And I can, or their parents can take that video um, after the fact and assess it. And, and say, yes, they've solved this problem. How did they solve it? And I think when you have a class of, you know, 13 to 18 kids, you can't do that with every child um, individually in real time. So using technology as a tool to be able to reflect and assess on their learning later can, can be invaluable. So um, there's a lot of things like that that I think we're, we're going to take from this experience to enhance what we're already doing. Um, and, and use technology very effectively as opposed to just giving them tech time. Yeah, I love that. It changes the dynamic of the conversations with the parents, doesn't it? Rather than coming home and what did you do today? Oh, nothing, or I can't remember. The parent can actually say, hey, I love that video that you did or that post you created or that, that reflection that you did. Have you found conversations like that have changed with parents? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think the, the most valuable thing that's come out of distance learning, I think, is, is that kids have parents, although very hard at the youngest age because they've had to be um, likely more involved in the learning process, um, they've seen how their child learns. Um, they've had the opportunity to see what's hard for them and what's a little easier and how independent they might be and the subject areas where they might need a little bit more assistance. And I think something an app like Seesaw allows them to, to see that even when they're not sitting with their child. So it's, it's evidence for the parent to see, oh, this is what the teacher is talking about. This is what's challenging for them. Um, but also to, to see their strengths, to see the, you know, the creativity um, in their work, to see the, the, not just the finished project, but how they, they manage to get there. So um, 
I, I absolutely think that that apps like Seesaw are an invaluable tool um, that that parents can can really reap the benefits of as well, and really understand their child more as a learner, even when they're not sitting next to them. Right. So, in hindsight, Mary, what would you what would you say to parents? What would be one or two things you might say to position them better to handle the situation of supporting learning at home, particularly for first graders or younger students? Yeah, I would say be patient um, to listen to your child. Um, make sure to be flexible in their learning styles. Um, and just watch carefully, you know, ease up and, and um, allow your child to be, um, to, to be themselves in the learning process. You know, their parents have a tendency to, to want them to understand in the same way that they understand perhaps, or to learn in the same way that they learn. You know, when we look at math trends and we look at um, how uh, different subjects are taught, in a different manner than, than perhaps parents learned. Um, that can be frustrating for a parent when they don't quite understand the process. So um, I would ask them to just trust the process a little bit and um, give their child a little flexibility and um, enjoy the opportunity to, to really get to know their child as a learner, to see how their child thinks and not force upon their own ideals. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, Dr. Mary, you did your doctorate? I did. Tell us about your doctorate, your topic, and how you did it, and what you found. I did. So, um, my topic was teachers and seating arrangements. Um, it was a qualitative study. So, what I um, was interested in, interested in was exploring the motivation and the attention that teachers devoted to uh, the needs of students when it came to seating arrangements. So I wanted to know why teachers chose seating arrangements that they chose. Um, did they consider their own experiences in the classroom? Um, did they consider the needs of the child? And most likely they did, but in what ways um, and, and perhaps how that affected um, the classroom dynamic. So it was really um, an opportunity for me to interview teachers to understand their motivation and their own thinking when it came to seating arrangements because that, that wasn't really explored much. Um, and so uh, it, was, it, it was an interesting opportunity. Um, I had the... I was able to really find a lot of research into seating arrangements and into different um, kind of assignments. And there is quite a lot of research there. So there's a lot of research into seating in rows or sitting in circles or sitting in pods, but there wasn't a lot of research into the minds of the teachers. And so that's what I was trying to get at. And what did you find? Well, I found that teachers had their preferences in the classroom and they did think about, you know, what they wanted for the group as a whole. Um, but they didn't necessarily consider their own, um, their own motivation. And when they started digging into, um, their own reflections 
um, in their classroom experiences when they were children, it was quite interesting. Um, several teachers got very emotional. Um, they were reflecting on their, their kind of um, experiences sitting in rows and how lonely that felt um, and how impersonal wow. it felt. And so, and, and many of those teachers were ones that tried to create um, a completely different experience for their class, for, for their children, but they didn't, they never thought about it. They never reflected on it. They didn't realize that perhaps that was part of the reason why um, they wanted to create a completely different experience for the children. So we, they seemed grateful after um, the interview process was done because they now were thinking about it in different ways. And so for me, I think that that, um, and for, for them too, I think it, you know, it sparked that, um, the idea that we are creating quite the experience for kids and it can be quite personal. And so little things like seating arrangements or, um, you know, where a child is asked to sit in the class, who they're asked to sit with, what kind of situations we put them in, it can be very impactful and it can have a long lasting effect. Like these veteran teachers who were reflecting emotionally on the experience that they had just in terms of seating. So, um, it, you know, it was powerful in the end. Do you think it had some sort of change impact on the teachers after they had realized their motivations? Perhaps, perhaps, at least I think to, to move forward, um, yeah, and, and consider how personal this one, these decisions can be. You know, this, this one decision on classroom seating and arrangements can be quite personal. And so um, perhaps not for everyone, but, but for some of those students, it, it can make a big difference. And so I think perhaps being more flexible in their thinking, perhaps getting to know the children a little bit more before deciding on um, the exact arrangement. Um, and obviously there's different purposes for different seating arrangements and we're in a place where we're much more flexible, I think, than ever before in terms of movement and designing of our own classrooms. Um, but I, uh, I, I think definitely it was, it, it was a change for the teachers and, and perhaps a change for them moving forward, yeah. So I was writing down some some rules that I would take away or some heuristics to think about. So get to know the children, spend some time getting to know them before you lock in maybe a seating arrangement. Be flexible, understand there might be different purposes for different seating arrangements and be, op be open to change. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, um, in my previous group of schools that I had a management contract with, the software that we used as the learning management system had seating arrangements built in. And only a small number of the teachers actually used that. The rest of us, the children sat or the students sat wherever they wanted. Um, and we just worked with that because the right. this is a senior high school, so the students moved from class to class. But the yeah. ones who did use that, I think they found it very efficient for them mm -hmm. in terms of managing who was there just at a basic level of attendance, but right. um, also assigning tasks and grouping students in day-to-day -day activities, having a set seating arrangement really worked. Did you right. find some benefits for teachers that had a really firm and well thought out seating, seating arrangement for their students? 
Um, I, you know, I would say that um, because it was a qualitative study versus a quantitative study, you know, we didn't get that result of being able to really study the, the effect um, either on their learning or, or socially, emotionally. Um, but teachers would definitely say, absolutely, a seating arrangement helps. A seating arrangement helps me meet my goals. Um, it helps me, you know, design a specific lesson more appropriately. Sorry, there's my dog joining in. Um, and so I, I absolutely think it helps teachers to meet their goals, um, whatever those goals might be. So for sure, I mean, I think if you're designing a um, pods for a math lesson, you might consider um, who's going to be in each pod, you know, who's going to raise some questions for the rest of the students. So I think there's so much to think about, or if it's perhaps a social emotional goal, where you have a student who struggles um, to kind of speak up during lessons or to kind of join in, you might put them with students that they feel more comfortable with um, that might allow them or encourage them to participate a little bit more. So I think across the board, whether it's academic goals or social emotional goals, seating arrangements can have an, a major impact on those specific goals. That they're not, those goals don't always stay the same. So being flexible in, in thinking perhaps throughout the day, what are your, what are your goals? And with older kids, you know, that, that can change a little, you know, just as frequently. So if they're coming into a class and there are 20 older students, you know, you might start that class in pod as a whole group. And you might think about the arrangement of those groups, um, just like you would for first graders. Yeah, that's really interesting. We've had no one on the podcast or on the video cast so far that's actually talked about this topic. So I really appreciate you sharing about it. Uh, yeah. We have educators that are in the classroom as teachers, heads of departments, principals, directors of very large school groups, a wide range. So just as we wrap up, what would be some career advice or career tips that you would encourage educators to think about as they're planning their, their leadership journey in their career? So I think one of the, the um, most rewarding experiences that I've gotten out of um, obtaining my doctorate is just the continuous um, ability to read on a variety of topics and collaborate with educators and leaders on a wide range of topics. So um, broadening, broadening my own skill set, but also being more open-minded um, and considering my own viewpoints on a wide range of topics. So I would suggest reading lots of different types of educational books with lots of viewpoints to really be able to consider um, your views in teaching, your views in education, so that when you have these rich conversations with others in the field, that you can think and be more open-minded on topics. Um, our, our kids in this class are, um, have varying viewpoints on, on things, and we need to be able to meet and collaborate with teachers on, on a wide range of topics, but we need to do so open-minded. So definitely reading everything you can um, 
from books on charter schools, from books on the history of education, from books on social policy, from books on systems, um, that's going to allow you to go in and chat with um, school leaders, but also teachers and really appreciate their own viewpoints and their own um, experiences in a more educated manner. So I would say read, read on a variety of topics, read, ask your classmates, your colleagues, what they're reading, look at, participate in podcasts, um, reach out globally to people that have, might have different ideas in education and, and really explore those topics. And I think also, um, you know, doing research allows you to, to look at information with a very keen eye. And so being very careful at what you're reading and, and think critically about it. So do your research, um, understand how to read um, research articles uh, with a with a very uh, with a very keen, clean eye, and, and understanding where that information is coming from. So just being careful about what you read, but but obviously reaching out and and exploring um, a wide range of ideas and seeing how it fits in your own lifestyle. So no matter where you are, um, where regardless of what your school system is like, um, regardless of the students that are there, um, try to consider what's important and how uh, stories relate to your own, to your own field and into whatever place you are in the world. Love that. Thank you so much for your, for your advice. Dr. Mary, I wanna thank you for your time. You got up really early this morning to do this, uh, do this call for us. So thank you for your time. Thanks for sharing your experiences and also the career advice for our students. Thank okay. you. Great, thanks so much.